Welcome to another episode of Bulldog Dialogue. I'm your host, Gardner-Webb University President William Downs. And today we're going to talk to an alumnus with an international ministry that began nearly three decades ago right here on the campus of Gardner-Webb University. Clayton King. Clayton King has made a name for himself around the globe for his intentional and immersive focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today he'll share his story, including his ministry's beginnings, purpose, future, and the multiple connections he has to GWU. We'll also get social with some Gardner-Webb online posts on Bulldog Dialogue. All that and a lot more, so stick around. Welcome back to Bulldog Dialogue. Clayton King is the co-founder and president of Clayton King Ministries, an organization offering global and domestic outreach opportunities for churches, groups, and various special events, including summer camps. King also provides mentorship programs, online resources, and a slate of guest speakers and thought leaders. Clayton King, welcome to the show and welcome home. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, so uh, we got a few questions to get us started today, and the first one's a true-false. True or false? I've heard that some of the ministry ideas that you are using today began to take root in a Gardner-Webb residence hall. True. True. I think it was at that time Lutz 111. All right, tell us more about the genesis of (laughs) of your ministry in the residence hall here at Gardner-Webb. So when I I came to Gardner-Webb as a freshman in 1991, received the presidential scholarship, wanted to play football, but uh, had some serious shoulder injury issues, ended up never playing football. When I came as a freshman, I had been preaching for a few years and uh, immediately connected with professors and students here. Those students, of course, came from churches all over North Carolina, Hickory, Raleigh, Boone, Asheville, Charlotte. So I started preaching around the state of North Carolina and was very involved in student ministry at that time. So my summers uh, as a student at Gardner-Webb, I would travel back and forth from one church camp to the next. One would be at the beach, one would be in the mountains, one would be at the lake. And it occurred to me, um, I believe it was my freshman year, summer between my freshman and sophomore year, if I could get all of these churches to come to Gardner-Webb for one week, I could accomplish in one week what it's taken me nine weeks of my summer vacation to do. So my dad's a small businessman. I've always tried to think smarter and, uh, and not have to work so hard. So I went to the president at the time and I, I said, Hey, I've got an idea. I'd like to start a summer camp. And, uh, he wasn't too warm to the idea. Three years later, I graduated, uh, outstanding male graduate of the year, 4.0 GPA, went back to the president. I said, Hey, I think I've proven myself. I can, I can do some things, and I think it can help Gardner-Webb. He said, I'll give you one shot. We'll see how it works. So I wrote, and this is a funny part of the story, but I'll never forget it. I had no nonprofit ministry at the time. I didn't know there was a such thing. It was just me. So I wrote a personal check as a deposit to rent the campus for a week. Hmm. And I cashed out my entire checking account. I had about $10,100 in my checking account, and I wrote a $10,000 check. And um, I remember handing it in and signing a contract. I was personally on the hook for the balance of renting the facility, the entire campus for a week. And so that was a summer of 1996. That was our first summer camp. 
Crossroads Summer Camp. We packed out Dover Theater, and the, the rest is history. That was 27 years later. Here we are back at Gardner-Webb for our 27th year of summer camp, and it's been a, a really interesting experience. I've loved every minute of it. It's been difficult. It's been rewarding. But when I was a senior, I was living in Lutz 111, and that was the year that a friend of mine who was in law school in uh, Raleigh at the time called me up. He said, listen, this thing's going to grow. You don't know what you're doing. Let me help you. So he formed a nonprofit for us. He did it pro bono. He's still on our board of directors today, lives in Charlotte. And that was the genesis of it. That's how we began. And at the first year of summer camp, 96, it was just me and some friends. And we had no clue what we were doing, but it worked. Um, we had a lot of zeal and very little knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> and now we have some experience to back up our, our zeal. <laughs> all right. Somewhere in all this, our crack researchers have found something called the monogamous fish. Is it true that you were once in a band at Gardner-Webb called Monogamous Fish and that uh, before Crossroads Camps, you hosted a, a weekend Christian music festival called Jacob's Well? How, how important was, was music in the genesis oh, of all this? Uh, you're digging deep. I think, I think <laughs> Noel T. Manning III's I'm thinking he is. information. <laughs> yeah, so I decided that, that was a, a season in, a, in, in Christian culture where Christian rock music was the thing. So I'm an entrepreneur. I decided I can, I can play a guitar. I can sing. I'm going to start a band. So yes, it's true. I started a band called Monogamous Fish. We were good. People can laugh at the name, but that was a cool name back in 1995. Cool Late 1900s, that was a cool name. <laughs> we sold, um, my first band was called Monogamous Fish, and then my second band was called Adam's House Cat. We sold a combined uh, 38,000 CDs without distribution, without a record label. As a matter of fact, when we started Monogamous Fish, Buddy Freeman was working here in admissions, and Buddy said, hey, when you guys go out and tour, what if Gardner-Webb lets you use one of our vans and you just put some Gardner-Webb promotional material out on your, on your CD table? So we did two pretty extensive tours where the band would play, I would speak, um, and we put Gardner-Webb material out on the table and Gardner-Webb let us use a van free of charge. Of course, we had to pay for the gas and, and everything like that. And now if a person wants to hear the infamous Monogamous Fish, we are on Spotify, I was going to ask on Apple Music you are? and iTunes. Okay. Yeah, well, Monogamous Fish. Listeners, check it out. I will, <laughs> for sure. All right, good stuff. Um, Why did you choose Garden Web in the first place? At that point, I knew I was called to ministry. So 1990, I was playing high school football at Hillcrest. was a pretty good football player. Probably could have played at a smaller school. Um, maybe would have been able to play. My goal was to always play at Clemson because I grew up right there in Clemson. What I was position a kid. did you play? I was a defensive end okay. and I played offensive line. I was okay. a good bit bigger back then and wanted to go to Clemson to play football, but then God called me to preach. I had heard of Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb had a great reputation in South Carolina and it was, so it was, I was thinking about Furman, Wake Forest, Clemson, or Gardner-Webb. I was being recruited by some schools to play football. Gardner-Webb recruited me. I thought that was what I was going to do. But my dad, who had keen insight, he said, son, I just don't think you're ever going to play football. I think God has something for you that's so specific that football would be a distraction. Of course, I thought he was stupid. He was not. He was very smart. And uh, kind of the Mark Twain thing, it's amazing how smart my dad became from, uh, from the time I turned oh, what, 16 to 18. My dad was smart. 
Uh, Gardner Webb. I hope my was, kids are listening to this, by the way. I hope my kids are too. They're 16 and 18. So one day at Hillcrest High School, um, Gardner Webb had a recruiting table. And I walked past the recruiting table, and the recruiter from admissions recognized me. He had seen me speak at a youth event. And he said, hey, are you, you're Clayton King. You need to come to Gardner-Webb. And I said, why? Why should I pick Gardner-Webb over all these other schools? And he started telling me about the Christian environment. He started telling me about all the different um, opportunities I would have. He talked to me about, at that time, ME days. They were called Ministerial Education Days. So if you were a religion major, local churches in North Carolina would have a Sunday where they would invite religion majors at Gardner-Webb to come and preach for them. And I thought, wow, that sounds fascinating. So I filled out an application right there on the spot. And he said, I'll waive your application fee. And I think it was $10 back then. And um, got accepted. And the late Randy Kilby was, I believe, head of admissions at the time. And he was a retired Baptist minister. And Randy called me on the phone. And he said, you need to apply for the presidential scholarship. And I received it. So if you really want to get down to it, God, of course, had a hand in all of it. He, he was guiding me. But I came to Gardner-Webb because I got the scholarship. I picked Gardner-Webb over every other school because we're a blue-collar family. Uh, my dad told me, he said, we can't help you pay for college. Um, we can help you a little bit, but you're either going to have to work part-time or you're going to have to preach more um, or you have to get a scholarship of some kind. And so I got the presidential scholarship and um First time I visited the campus, it was a rainy, cold February day. And we're driving up, and I see these beautiful brick buildings. I saw the steeple, and um, I saw a group of students standing outside on the sidewalk right across the street from the snack shop talking. And I thought, that looks cool. There were also a couple of pretty girls in that group. So I was like, I think God might be calling me here. So you talk about family and you talk about pretty girls. You did meet somebody while you're here, right? Yeah. Who has become your partner in ministry. That's talk, right. Talk, talk to us about that special element of your family. So Shari and I have been married for 23 years. We have two teenagers, Jacob and Jojo, 19 and 16. Joseph, he likes to go by Jojo. I met Shari in 1997, February 17th. I was preaching in uh, at Chapel Hill at a student event. I just graduated from Gardner-Webb and I saw her in the audience didn't know her name, had no idea who she was. But when I saw her, it was like lightning struck my heart. And I literally prayed out loud, Jesus, I want that one. And I must have been doing something right in my life because we met that night. And the connection that we the connection that we had was this we were going into our second year of Crossroads summer camp here at Gardner Webb. And so I'd announced that night that I was looking for some staff. We hire 60 college students every summer to run our camp. So I announced that from the stage. And after the event, she approached me and said, I'd like to work at your camp. And so I hired her and we fell in love that summer. Fun fact, I had made a commitment uh, to God. I, I had dated a girl long, for a long time, for several years. It was a student here at Gardner-Webb and it didn't work out. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just going to fall in love with another girl on the rebound. So I'd made a six-month commitment not to date anyone. Well, I met Shari during that six-month commitment. And I was like, okay, Lord, I might need to, we might need to renegotiate this commitment. The last day of summer camp in Dover Theater uh, of 1997, I gave Shari two dozen roses on stage and invited her to be my girlfriend. And she said yes. And we got married a year, year and a half later. That's the, that's the short version. We fell, we fell in love That's right here story. on this campus. I hope she's listening. 
<laughs> uh, and now, now, didn't you just have your son preach here at Gardner Webb a couple he nights did. ago? Yeah, so. he he preached uh, three. He preached yesterday morning, and he preached on uh, Saturday night. And he's 19 years old, and he is a very gifted young man. He's never made a B. He's very smart. He gets that from his mother. Um, he is just a very special guy. So he grew up going to camp here. And a matter of fact, I've got videos of him riding with his brother and a group of kids on their bikes around the bulldog right outside the entrance to the LYCC where the ticket office is, where the box office is. So he grew up coming to camp here and it was a really special and emotional time for him to get to come back and speak at Crossroads. Cause as a little kid, he used to sit in the audience and hear, you know, Derwin Gray and, J.D. Greer and me and his mom and other people speak, and now he gets to be a part of it. And people like people often ask me, is he going to take over the ministry, you know, when you retire? And my answer is always very simple. If he wants to, if God calls him to, um, but I'm not going to push him. He's got to want to do it. He's 19, so he's still figuring out what direction he wants to go with his life. We'll see what happens. And you're still a young man. I've got a lot of tread left go. on the tires. There you go. <laughs> um. So you talk about him sitting, listening, and, and crafting his style by listening and being immersed in the styles of others. Uh, talk to us about how you developed your style and who some of the greatest influences on you. Wow. So many, primarily my father. So I'm adopted. My dad died 10 years ago, and um, he was just the best man I ever knew. He was not a preacher, no, not a pastor, never went to college, blue collar, hardworking, but he was a, a humble, godly, consistent man, very simple. And he was my Sunday school teacher for about five years, six years, actually, when I was a kid. So I learned how to love the Bible by watching him teach me and my friends. Um, he is the greatest influence in my life. I had some pastors growing up. I actually preached on this this past Sunday at my church where I'm a pastor. I had four godly older men that were influences in my life. Two of them are still alive. One of them I'm actually having uh, dinner with tonight at Italian Garden. His name is David Chadwick. He's a pastor in Charlotte, 72 years old, still pastoring. They're coming to visit. Uh, they're bringing their students to Crossroads next year. And then another pastor named Jake Thornhill. He just retired in Greensboro. He was at a church there for 25 years. And then a couple of pastors who have passed away, and they're in heaven now, uh, Currently, Tony Evans and Tim Keller are probably two of the most influential preachers that I still listen to. But if I had to sum up uh, the biggest influence in my life, it would be Billy Graham. I started studying him and watching him when I first became a Christian. I grew up watching him on TV like most people in the, in the South. He was a master at, um, at media ministry, the first one to really capitalize on it. And so growing up as a child, um, I would see him preach on TV because he would rent out, he would pay for airtime on the three major networks when there were only three major channels. And then when I became a Christian, um, so many of my influences, including my pastor, said, you remind me of Billy Graham. You're an evangelist. When you talk, people listen. When you walk, people follow you. When you speak, people pay attention. You, My pastor used to tell me, Clayton, I really think you're an evangelist. And so I began to study Billy Graham's life. And then before he passed away, Shari and I got to spend an afternoon with him in his home. And it was one of the greatest days of my life. So I would say that Billy Graham has probably had the most ministry influence on me. 
I'm trying to remember from your commencement address back during the COVID days when you told a story about mm-hmm. going, it, was there a Coke bottle that you came away with as a, a souvenir from that visit? It still sits on my bookshelf. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I took the Coke bottle. We, we had some refreshments, and uh, Billy Graham drank Coke from a glass bottle. And when he got up to go check on Ruth, she was still living at the time, I swiped the Coke bottle and his assistant said, you can have that. Let me wash it for you. I'll clean it up. I said, no, you don't touch it. I, I want all the anointing from Billy Graham That's on great. the Coke bottle. That's great. So uh, Billy Graham traveled a lot. You've traveled a lot. So from Boiling Springs, North Carolina, and this uh, small campus, you have taken your ministry across the globe. Tell us maybe about um, the, the place you've been, the country you've been, where you, it, it made a pr- profound impact mm-hmm. on you or you had a special experience. I've, I've seen pictures of, I believe, Uganda where yeah. thousands turned out to hear you. Yeah. G- give, give us a sense of your global outreach. So I've been to 54 countries now, just traveled to my 54th Germany with my family. That was vacation. I would say that the countries I've been to that have had the deepest impact. When I was a student here at Gardner-Webb, I spent part of a semester living in Kenya. I went on a mission trip lived with a family in a mud hut in the jungles of Kenya and traveled on foot with an interpreter every day and just preached from village to village. Got really sick while I was over there. I caught malaria, but that was a formative time in my life. Theologically, my professors helped me process a lot of what I saw over there uh, when I came back. I went to India. I made seven trips to India right, uh, right after I graduated with some Gardner Web alumni. Our first trip there was actually, I don't know if you remember Tina Duncan, um, she was student body president here. She and I and some others went. Recently, my wife and I had a chance. This would have been New Year's Eve of 2019. So Shari and I both had a chance to speak to 100,000 people in Nelson Mandela Stadium in Kampala, Uganda. Wow. And I've never seen anything like this before in my life. 20,000 people that night made a profession of faith in Christ. And that was something that never anticipated seeing in my life. I'd seen videos of Billy Graham crusades where that was the norm. And that just doesn't happen anymore. We're living in a different time um, globally, but I got to see something that I will never forget. And then of course, a few months later, COVID shut Mm -hmm. the world down. And that happened just about three months before COVID. So that was, that was probably one of the most vivid memories of my life. I'll never forget that. When you're not traveling, you're running summer camps. Mm-hmm. It's it's a marquee uh, aspect of, of Clayton King Ministries. Walk our listeners through what's going on this week for campers on the campus of Gardner-Webb University. So we literally just wrapped up our first week of camp here on campus. Uh, we had 650 students and leaders, 10 churches. Uh, we had 200 and I want to see 237 professions of faith. We raised $3,000 for missions. We had 23 ch- uh, children sponsored through Compassion. Um, I just tweeted and, and posted on Instagram about it. I'm trying to remember all of the stats. All new churches uh, except for one. So we had, I think, eight or nine brand new churches that came. Uh, 46 students that surrendered to a call to ministry. So that's that's very important to us. And our team right now is, is working with the Gardner-Webb folks and Biltmore Church from Asheville, largest church in Western North Carolina. They'll bring between 650 and 700. So we are working like busy elves to try to get everything ready to go. So two weeks of camp, great impact for the kingdom, great impact on the Boiling Springs community. 
Um, I know that um, the uh, the coffee shop downstairs in the Tucker Student Center has been keeping us all caffeinated and selling lots Excellent. of sugary caffeine Excellent. drinks. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a tweet. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how CK Ministries uses social media because social media it's a double edged sword, right? Um, there's a lot of a lot of crazy stuff out there. How do how do we how do you best use things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, to get the right message out. Yeah. We, I think it all starts with knowing who you are and what you believe. Your values and your beliefs are essential. It's not just foundational. It's essential. So we know who we are. We're an evangelical ministry. We're ecumenical, but we're a ministry that's about the gospel and the kingdom. So when we post on social media, we want to make sure that we're always reflecting what we value and what we're called to do. We can't be all things to all people. We're very, uh, we're niche in who we are. We have two social media streams, um, not platforms, but streams. So our ministry has our accounts and then I have my personal social media, uh, platform. So I'll post things that are personal, my family, pictures of my children, what I'm reading in the Bible, my favorite food, um, you know, my favorite bands, the list of bands I want to go see before they die. I'm a 90s guy, so I still want to see Metallica before those guys die. I, I still haven't seen Garth Brooks. I've got to go see Garth Brooks. He was here a week ago. I know. And if it weren't for Crossroads Camp, I could have seen him. So social media for us is... Um, it's a helpful tool. It's a way for us to get our messaging out to the world. But at the same time, we know that social media can't be the only mode of communication. So we utilize email. We utilize uh, in-person relationships. Social media is a great tool, but it's not the only tool in our toolbox. We also are very careful that we don't react on social media. So we want to be action-oriented and not reactionary. Because social media, as good as it is for so many purposes, for growth and for communication, it can also become a big distraction. The other thing is social media is the wild, wild west. So Elon Musk says he's going to buy Twitter. And of course, immediately you have people taking sides. Then Elon decides not to buy it. We don't want to put all of our eggs in the social media basket because they, those are private companies. And they could decide tomorrow. Facebook did this to me recently. I don't know why. In October, uh, my account was was closed. And I have sent 150 messages to Facebook. Public figure, almost 50,000 followers. And no response. They're a kingdom unto themselves. And so we have to realize as a nonprofit ministry that we can't put all of our efforts into social media to tell the story of who we are and promote our events and our ministry, because at any moment they could change leadership, they could change ownership or someone somewhere in a cubicle in an office space in Palo Alto, California could just decide to shut us down. And we don't have a phone number where we can call and talk to an actual person. So that's not throwing shade on Facebook, but you just, I can't get it figured out. I've tried to hire people to figure it out. I'm sure it's some mistake somewhere, but I just decided to let it go because I don't live on social media. It's a small part of what I do. Uh, I'm very busy. I have two full-time jobs and I love my family. So I don't scroll endlessly on my phone and I don't read all the comments. We are who we are. Most people will love it. Some people may not. I don't care. Um, we are who we are. 
so we're going to stick to our mission and 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 if someone wants to have a discussion i'd rather pick up the phone and talk to them on the phone instead of getting involved in the comments social media is so good in so many ways but it also gives people courage a pseudo courage to be very bold and say things behind a screen that they would never say to a person's face. And I think that's to our detriment as a culture. Agreed. Let's talk about culture a little bit. Let's talk about trajectories in American society. I'm a, I'm a political scientist. I'm a social scientist. You know as well as I do that social scientists tracking these kinds of things uh, are feeding us data that more or fewer and fewer Americans are reporting a high degree of religiosity. Right. So the increasing secularization of American society. You also know that chronically we have headlines in our society of self-inflicted wounds from inside the church that does not help us attract, especially young people, to join us in a Christian journey. How, how do we, how do you in your ministry, how do we at a private Christian university, how do we turn that around? Mm. How do we make the case to young people to choose the faith and to choose a place like Gardner Webb to grow, learn, and get a start on life. All the statistics are pointing in the direction that people are less interested in religion than they've ever been, but we are still one of the most religious countries in the world. I mean, you could look at a, a country like Poland, which is you know 93% Roman Catholic, and you could compare America, because still at this point in American culture, um, about 85% of Americans say that they believe in God, 85 to 90%. And even the Southern Baptist Convention, as it declines, it's the biggest uh, denomination. Uh, that's why I'm thinking of them. Still 13.5 million members. But what's happening in America, and you probably have studied this way more than I have, but it's my job to understand some of these shifts. What we're trying to do at Crossroads and what we're trying to do at my church at New Spring is we're trying to emphasize the personal aspect of a person's faith so that when we are living our lives doing the things that we do, we don't separate our Christian faith from our job. We don't separate our Christian faith from the way we act at, a, at our child's sporting event. We don't separate our Christian faith from the way that we process what's happening in Ukraine. I think for so much of American history, Christianity has been the de facto religion. I don't I don't buy into the I don't want to get in the weeds, but I don't I don't buy into the idea that America is a Christian nation. I don't think that a nation can be Christian. I think that people and institutions can be. But America, the strength of our nation has always been pluralism. That you can live here and believe whatever you want. And so Christianity needs to be able to win minds and hearts in the free market of ideas. So America is a place where Muslims and Jews and Christians and agnostics can all eat at the same restaurant and send their kids to the same school. That's what makes America beautiful. That's what makes America strong. But in the open market of ideas, Christians should have the most winsome and the most consistent testimony that our faith makes us kind, that our faith makes us patient, that our faith makes us care about justice, that our faith makes us, because of Jesus Christ, believe in the equality of human beings, that we treat everyone as if they are image bearers of God. I think we have an opportunity now. So many people are are screaming that the sky is falling when it comes to faith and church membership and decline. But in reality, I believe this is our best moment 
maybe ever in American history for the church that really believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ because so many eyes are on us now. There have been scandals, scandals in small church, scandals in mega church, um, scandals in Christian higher education, scandals in camp ministry like the one that we're involved in. Um, I think this is our opportunity because so many eyes are on us to be different than the culture. And just one way we could do that is to resist the urge and refuse the algorithms that try to make us and keep us angry all the time at everybody. I mean, it's no secret, social media, the big companies, they've developed the algorithms. They feed us what they know we're looking for when we open up our phone and begin to scroll. I want to be fed more from the Word of God and the community of faith than I am from people I've never met somewhere behind a screen trying to feed me information that keeps me angry and worked up at my brother or my sister all the time. And it starts with face-to-face conversations. It starts with meals in homes, around a table, a cup of coffee, a five-minute conversation, a 10-minute conversation that ends with praying for each other. It's hard for me to hate someone when I'm sitting across the table from them, and I've just heard them tell me about their kids. That's what I think the church has that we can offer to America now, that we're not just a Sunday-only religion. We're a a seven-day-a-week faith where we treat people the way Jesus treated people. Jesus talked about the pruning of the vine. He called his heavenly father the gardener. And what, a, and what he says in, God, in John's gospel is that God prunes the vine that he loves so that it will be more fruitful. I think the church in America is going through a pruning right now. I think COVID sped that up. And I think when it pertains to camp ministry like ours, church ministry like New Spring, Christian higher education like Garden Road University, I think God is pruning back some of the some of the superfluous things that we've just kind of gotten comfortable with so that we'll be more fruitful. I'm seeing that everywhere I go. There are so many new and exciting things happening in the church. I think COVID forced the church to realize we've been really good at Sundays, but we need to get better at Monday through Saturday. We can't just invite people to show up on Sunday. We've got to be involved in the lives of people in our communities every day of the week. That's what's going to draw people to the faith. I think we have a great opportunity. So maybe some bad news, but I think there's some good news on the horizon too. Brilliant. Just got to seize the moment. Exit question. What's next for Clayton King and and what's next for Clayton King Ministries? Well, I turned 50 in November. So people keep asking me, do you want to party? I'm like, I don't want to celebrate this. However, I will say. I I don't think the people in the room here are are too sympathetic (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah, you're like rookie. Um, You know, what's next for me, uh, I have, I love my family. I love traveling as an evangelist. I love our camp ministry. I love being a pastor at a local church. So for me, what's next, I've got a book coming out next year. It's my 18th book. I've now published over a million words. Um, so I'm, I'm, wait a second, I'm fa- 18 books. Yeah. Just, yeah, this is just think about that for a second. I get up really early. My grandmother said I was wound up and, uh, I think she knew what she was talking about. She just didn't know how I could channel it. So I'm excited about my new book coming out. Uh, I'm excited about, um, just the growth of our ministry overall, our marriage conferences, our student conferences. We have 12 speakers on our team now. I'm excited too. our church. So part of my life is, is I'm a pastor 
Six years ago, our church was $46 million in debt. So we're a multi-site church, 14 campuses all over South Carolina. And I'm happy to report that by God's grace, we will be debt-free by the end of this year. Um, so by December, we will have paid off in six and a half years, $46 million of debt. I'm excited to see what our church will be able to do with the financial resources that we'll have at our disposal to empower missions, church planting, church growth, international ministry. That's one thing I'm really excited about as well. Clayton King, thank you so much for joining us today. We are uh, proud of your mountain of success. We're proud to call you an alumnus. We're delighted to have Crossroads Summer Camp here with us this year and, and last year as well. And hope you continue to think of, of Gardner-Webb as a place for that camp. Uh, before you go, can we get a Sco Dogs from you? Sco Dogs! There it is. All right, listeners, we'll be back. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Bulldog Dialogue. It's time to get social and check out what's happening across social media that's related to the web. Uh, we got a tweet sheet. We got some stuff from Instagram. Let's see what's going on in the world of social media. From Instagram first, Trevor Wester. Trevor Wester did an Instagram takeover on Gardner Webb's site. Trevor Wester is a huge racing fan he's involved in um racing and we encourage you to take a look um at trevor wester instagram racing gardner web what an amazing combination what else do we have we had a major fundraising um celebration the life of bill masters the legacy of bill masters um providing a gift that's going to help the Gardner-Webb University baseball team uh, produce a, an indoor baseball hitting facility. So grateful to Bill um, and everything he meant to uh, our program and our university and all the young men here. Uh, Gardner-Webb, again, on, on Instagram, uh, has got a shout-out to Bill Masters. Uh, Bill Masters, uh, his legacy living on in perpetuity through our baseball program. Gardner-Webb alumni on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and every social media platform you can find. Uh, a great time was had by all at the Forest City Owls game, a little baseball uh, not too long ago. Gardner-Webb alumni gathering for a Forest City Owls game. Brought the fun, brought the alumni, brought the friends. Dr. Sharon Webb, our faculty athletics representative, took care in very nice fashion of the first pitch for that game. So thanks to our friends at the Forest City Owls. Appreciate that outreach and appreciate our alumni staying involved. Gardner Webb Volleyball on Twitter. Um, look it up. They're excited. Five weeks or less before the start of Coach Eric Plunkett's second season at the helm here at Gardner Webb. They have first serve August 26 against St. Francis on the road. Get ready to watch Gardner Webb volleyball. You may have heard new dog in town, new fresh logo for the first time in 35 years. The Gardner Webb University campus shop is on social media at GWU campus shop. You need all your gear your t-shirts, your hats, you need that shirt, the must-have shirt for our September 1 blackout football game at Spangler Stadium. 
It is all there. Make sure you search first online for at Gardner Web Campus Shop. I think that's all from social media. I want to thank all of our listeners across Cleveland County, across the state of North Carolina, across the region, across the country, and across the world. Thank you again to Clayton King for being our guest today on Bulldog Dialogue. You can find out more about Clayton and his amazing work online at ClaytonKing.com. We also appreciate you, our listening audience, for taking time out of your day to spend with us. Thanks for joining us on Bulldog Dialogue. Whether it's in the car, in the office, at home, or wherever you are, you can find and subscribe to official Gardner Web podcasts like these on your favorite platforms. That includes Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Music, Amazon Podcast, and Audible. I'm going to give you a sco dogs here in a minute, but as we go away, we're going to leave you with a deep cut from Clayton King way back in the day. He mentioned his band, Monogamous Fish. We found it on Spotify, so enjoy the sounds of Clayton King. For me, I'm Gardner-Webb University President William Downs. Sco dogs. Would they cry? Would they laugh? Would they play in the sun? I wonder. And I wonder.